0: Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment? A story to share? send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast.
1: So my question to you, Neil, is why do you think there are so many teachers out there who are still not willing to get into these uncharted waters of test-based language teaching?
2: A lot of it's to do with language confidence. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, instead of the you know, the structure of the day approach, um, you're kind of dealing with all language. But there is there is a uh, a step between here and there. You know, if you wanna try stuff out, what we say to people is take the course book unit, turn it on its head, front the task, you know mm-hmm. the, take that and put it earlier in the lesson and then don't worry too much about the uncharted waters because you've already got a language focus there you know right already there but by turning on its head you're gonna get more so you're not just gonna get the present perfect but you're gonna get this Lexus and this pronunciation feature and maybe you know this listening you know something to do with uh, connected speech and listening you know, can fit that in you know there's a lot to be gained by fronting the task by fronting mm-hmm. the practice because you know students just get to try stuff out and then you've got this richness of language that you can react to and mm-hmm. that's just uh, you know that's an intermediate step and that immediately means that your lesson fits much more in with you know what we know about the processes of SLA. Hi, everyone. My name is Marek Kiczkowiak, and I'm from Poland. You're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Learn Your English podcast. I'm your host for today, Leo, and I will be interviewing Neil McCutcheon, um, who is a head of teacher training for the CELTA and the DELTA courses at the ELT Hub in Lyon and Strasbourg. And he began teaching in 1991, and he got his CELTA in 1997 and a Trinity diploma in 2001. He has been teaching ESL for of ELT for a long time. He's also worked in the UK, in Ghana, in Hungary before he moved to beautiful France. According to him, his main interests are teacher education and developing materials which reflect what we know about second language acquisition processes. Hello, Neil. Hello, Leo. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for uh, letting us interview you for the podcast. How are you?
2: You're welcome. I'm fine, thanks.
1: How's the weather in France?
2: It's absolutely beautiful. It's the height of spring.
1: Oh, Spring in Toronto is somewhat, it's not the most majestic um, season, I would say, but it, we're getting there. We're getting there.
2: Okay. It takes a long time to come in Europe, but when it comes, it explodes. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah. So, Neil, let's talk a little bit about your teaching background. So, my first question to you is, how, how did you get into teaching?
2: Um, well, I, I studied philosophy at university. Mm. And um, I was a young idealist and an environmentalist. Um, And um, I just wanted to do something. It sounds kind of cheesy, but I I really wanted to do something that would change the world. And I didn't want to Mm. go into business. Um, And, you know, that was the kind of fashion of the time, I suppose, in the late 80s. Um, So I decided to be a primary teacher and I did that for six years before I did my CELTA.
1: Wow so you went in, you went from philosophy jumping into primary teaching and then yeah like uh,
2: Wittgenstein he did that as well so he was a kind of role model.
1: <laughs> That's interesting um, so what about teacher training or do you prefer the term teacher trainer or teacher educator I usually have this Um, struggle with people they call them they prefer to be called i like the idea of teacher educator rather than teacher trainer it's less prescriptivist i would say how do you
2: uh, i've never um, uh, really seen a major difference there um Mm -hmm. but um i've just come to understand the difference from people like yourself who i think you know training sounds too much like jumping through hoops doesn't it right yeah i made the transition to teacher training after having uh, taught EFL and ESOL mm-hmm. um, and there's a position um, came up in, in Hungary at International House Budapest and they needed a, a, a CELTA trainer in training which I'd actually already done uh, in Britain but I I started to do teacher training in
1: Budapest then. What would you say were your um, biggest challenges as a trainer?
2: Uh, biggest challenges? Um, well To start with, you've got to get to know the courses that you're delivering, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the challenges are, well, difficult trainees. Right. People who kind of sign up for the course, but then they don't want to, they sort of resist the the process of the course. Right. Um, And it is training in a way. I mean, there are certain things that you have to do. Um, to pass and so you know that that can be hard I enjoy it now though I mean I, I, I enjoy dealing with the different personality types um, I think the other challenges may be kind of integrating the theory that you know because as you go further along your career You learn more about SLA and you learn more about how languages are learned and the best way to do things. And then when you're doing something like CELTA, you have to think, right, well, how can I adapt my practice in a way that, you know, fits in with the requirements of the course and also fits in with what I believe about, you know, the best way to teach languages. And is going to be well pitched at the level of the trainees who may not know much about language. Um, Some of them do, some of them don't. But so it's it's got to meet a lot of these different kind of requirements.
1: Interesting. I want to I want to touch on a point that you mentioned um, about dealing with difficult trainees, and we were talking about Mm -hmm. this um, prior to uh, the recording of the podcast. This idea of having a beginner's mind and the idea of how ego often gets in the way of deep learning. So yep. I do you find that this is something that training courses don't really address as much? The fact that in order for a teacher to learn and explore as much as possible, they need to have this and I think it was Suzuki. That was the name I was trying to remember. Then mm-hmm. Master Shunryu Suzuki who said that it is important for teachers to explore as much as possible with a beginner's mind what do you
2: it's interesting I never thought of that um, with regard to teacher training so that would be something uh, new I mean I was, I was thinking about it in terms of learning a language and uh, one of these things is that the, you know the main process the main process involved is not conscious learning Although mm. conscious learning can help, you know that can be a reference point. That can something can be something you go back to uh, if there's a communication breakdown, or right. uh, if you're doing dam or something. You need to you need to access your careful style. Then you go back to you know what you learned consciously. But ideally, what you want to do is kind of turn that. I think it's called um, the default mode yeah. work. You need, you need to turn that part of your mind off or turn the volume down on that like you would with something like mindfulness practice Mm -hmm. be in the zone you know uh and that's when you're going to learn best and i expect that's when um you would teach best as well because one of the things we do say to our trainees is it's not a performance for example if you're performing music or something if you start thinking wow i'm doing this so well (laughs) you know that's definitely going to get in the way of what you're actually doing and, and and the teachers who you know we tell them look just teach the students yes and i i get all sorts of anxiety about these kind of demonstration lessons that we have to do for trainees because i've got to be i've got to be kind of ticking their boxes and showing them certain things that um you know that they want to see and i'm also trying to teach you know as naturally as 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 i can and my colleague said to me look just you know forget all that just just teach the students something you know just teach them how to you know how to say something that they want to say in English and when you when you look at it you know through that kind of simple prescription then yeah you're more focused on them less focused on yourself that's got to be a good thing
1: Mm -hmm. no I think this is absolutely right Um, and I, I, I I'm going back to my my diploma mm-hmm. and I remember that when I started the the Delta, I had read pretty much every single ELT book on the list. And I felt that in a way I had spoiled the course for myself because everything that they were talking about were things that I had already um studied or or unknown. But I remember that before that before I started the Delta, I had read pretty much everything on the list. So okay when I got to the course, I felt like, man, I'm not learning anything. But then I went back and and asked myself, why am I feeling this way? Why am I telling myself that I'm not learning anything? And that's when I think what teacher, teacher training courses are not addressing is that I think we need to try to begin our conversations, our observations, our conferences, and any other teacher education activities without any sort of preconceived ideas about what we think should be going on. In the classroom. And I think that's what the idea of mindfulness and the idea that you mentioned of teaching the students and not worry so much about performing. So my question to you is, why do you think this is something that a lot of training courses are not addressing? Especially because teaching, we're at we're basically at the center of the stage, if we want to mm-hmm. call that the stage. But why do you think a lot of teachers deal with anxiety? I remember um, trainees in the Delta who, who were having panic attacks because they had to present their lessons and they couldn't prepare the lessons in the way that they wanted to teach. Anyway, there's all kinds of issues. So my question to you is, why do you think, and maybe we don't have an answer for this, but why do you think that training courses are not addressing this issue? Well, the issue
2: of anxiety? Yeah. It's interesting. I've always seen the role, especially when you've done quite a few courses like CELTA, um, I see the role as primarily pastoral, mm. really it is i mean you're you're modeling and and, and um, you know, helping the trainees get uh, certain techniques, but really you are trying to trying to encourage them, trying to you know show them what's good about what they're doing and trying to reduce that anxiety mm-hmm. um, it ought to be somewhere in the course prescription um, i mean it's just not because i've i've heard of training courses where trainers you know sit at the back and they give loud audible sighs <laughs> oh god uh, that's yeah. awful that's from the beginning i i know of courses where people jump up and they say no you don't do it like that uh, you, i've you experienced like that, that. You don't give instructions like that. Take those handouts back in. Take them back in. I'll show you how to, you know, you've got to check your instructions first. All of that stuff that <laughs> must make it an absolute living hell. You know? <laughs> um, the other thing about uh, training courses, just them being, um, you know, too prescriptive. I mean, there are other people... Uh, much further down the road uh, than I am on this. And I don't know if you've heard of uh, Anthony Gohan in yes. uh, Berlin. Yeah. So he does teacher training unplugged and, and Danny Norrington Davis, and who used to be in IH London and he's in King's college now. Um, also doing a kind of shelter that starts really from scratch and really mm. just um, you know, getting the trainees to develop materials and getting them to interact with the students and uh, kind of much more sort of dogmy style. You yeah. Know, definitely not following a course book. Uh, I mean, in terms of the language, definitely following the students' language a lot more. And I think, you know, that's. That's great. And it depends on the kind of uh, quality of the trainees that you get. Maybe I'm underestimating them, but I think a lot of our trainees that we get, um, Mm. wow, you know, they actually need need to stick to the course book to an extent just in order to to be able to analyze the language and to to deliver a kind of language focus that's anywhere near coherent. You know, they need that support.
1: I would agree with that. I would agree that they need to familiarize themselves with teaching from a textbook. Um, but I, I really like the idea of uh, the teacher training unplugged. And I would oh, say, yeah. I would say I'm, I'm, more, I'm leaning towards that. Um, one of the things I usually tell, because um, I like this idea of approaching um, communication with other teachers and in the classroom with, with, from a beginner's mind perspective, again, what's the level of the class? Don't tell me the goal of the lesson. I don't want to know, you know, don't tell me, let me just try to hear what the students say. And then let me try to see some things you and the students do in the classroom. I'm not trying to think about what I'm going to be doing or any sort of focus, listen, or warm up or role play. Let me just try to see and hear the kinds of communications that are taking place and yeah. what communication seems to not be taking place, and then we can work with that raw material. And I think mm-hmm. that is more in line with the uh, second language acquisition theories that we will discuss.
2: Well, absolutely. Period. I mean, that's one of the great—that's one of the great uh, roles for a task in teacher training, um, using tasks because you can—you um, can take a task that's going to work at different levels and and you can you can throw the students into a task you know without too much uh trouble and difficulty certainly without dealing too much with language and you can see what arises there so it, de- it definitely gives you that kind of petri dish mm-hmm. uh, to look at what's happening and to start you know planning what kind of feedback and training can com- come out of that and in fact you know what you find on any teacher training course is that students, uh, the, the the trainee teachers, they're kinda of doing this anyway at points. Like they're mm-hmm. doing this they're doing this in their lead-ins, they're doing this in their free practice, they're doing this in skills lessons, in the discussion, again in the lead-ins and all the way through skills lessons. There's a lot of places where what they're doing, if they can relax into it, mm-hmm. is just talking to the students and reacting to you know the content of their language so um, the thing about task-based teaching it can be uh, you know a step on from what they're already doing what they feel very very happy with the only thing that panics people on uh, teacher training courses well, you're apart from time limits and stuff and uh, somebody <laughs> frowning at the back that's what really annex is the thing about having to deal with language in this very kind of analytical way meaning form pronunciation and i think you can remove a lot of the pressure by letting them into the kind of the secret that this isn't the be all and end all of language learning right. it's a piece of it but it's yes. not what the action is but I, I agree
1: with what you said neil when you I mean, I think teachers need to have that sort of language awareness and that sort of language knowledge because they yeah. won't be able to react, to teach more reactively if they're That's, not able to deal with language that emerges. So I think in a way, the training courses, I think the main role of a training course is to equip teachers with, with this tool belt where they have, yeah. have knowledge of different approaches and knowledge of different methods, a little bit of background into second language acquisition, and more importantly, this idea of learning to put less emphasis on what's right and wrong or good and bad and just see things as they are and then deal with them as they emerge
2: naturally out of those. Well, conversations. It, that's, that's one of the reasons, I guess why throughout the years, um, the, 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 the full qualification, I, I, I don't see this now, but I used to hear this um, mm. in the nineties. Um, the full qualification is the Delta, the full qualification is the diploma level so the celta is just you know it's a license to teach here's a kit of um, classroom techniques here's a kit to analyze language mm-hmm. you know here are some different approaches as well now go away and find out come back in two years when you're ready to do the whole thing you know <laughs> yeah. when teachers reach uh diploma level then they're ready to react and that, that's when it kind of annoys me a bit if they, if they won't throw themselves into the deep end. Because when you're at that level and you're sticking with PPP, it's like, well, you know, why would you, you know, try out something else hmm. you know, that you've been reading about and just see, just see how it works out for the students and how you feel.
1: Huh? It's interesting because you said this. We still have teachers who are very reluctant to throw themselves into the deep end. Why do you think that is the case? Why do you think teachers are, again, all of us, we're all complacent in a way. We are all guilty of not really doing Mm. things in a way that we think they should be done. So my question to you, Neil, is why do you think there are so many teachers out there who are still not willing to... Get into these uncharted waters of test based language teaching. Why why do you? The
2: the first thing is because it's the deep end, right? Right. (laughs) It's uncharted waters, you know. So, I mean, that's first of all, um, I mean, a lot of it's to do with language confidence. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, instead of the the structure of the day approach, um, you're kind of dealing with all language. (laughs) <laughs> you've got and you've got to love Lexus and you've got to know how to slice the lexical pie. and You've got to know your fixed expressions from mm-hmm. your semi-fixed expressions and you know your idioms and your binomials and dependent prepositions and all of that stuff. Yeah. You've got to have that at your fingertips. And so, you know, but there is there is a a, a step between here and there. You know, if you wanna try stuff out, what we say to people. Is take the course book unit, turn it on its head. You know, mm-hmm. you've got a unit there that people have slaved over and edited, and it's pretty good and it's quite interesting. We all know the shortcomings of course books, but you know, you've got something that's decent and workable. Turn it on its head, front the task, you know, the mm-hmm. Take that and put it earlier in the lesson, and then don't worry too much about the uncharted waters because you've already got a language focus there. You know, right, go it's already there, but by turning it on its head, you're going to get more. So, you're not just going to get the present perfect, but you're going to get this lexus and this pronunciation feature, and maybe you know, this um, listening, you know, something to do with uh, connected speech and listening, you know, can fit that in. So, you know, there's a lot to be gained by fronting the task, by fronting mm-hmm. your practice, because, you know, students just get to try stuff out. And then you've got this richness of language that you can react to. And okay. that's just, uh, you know, that's an intermediate step. And that immediately means that your lesson fits much more in with, you know, what we know about the processes of SLA.
1: Mm-hmm. No, this is great. I I would say this is a very good um, first step towards mm-hmm. the uh, the deep end. And it's
2: not yeah, sorry. Or you know, if it's if if you're having an off day or something, well, you can just more or less stick with the language focus in the book. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you're not limited to that, right? Because you know what Dave Willis said about that was that's teaching language as conformity. That's yes. Just, like, all the students, you know, they want to please you. They know they have to produce. Uh, yes. You know, exactly present perfect. You know, again and again and again, whether they, you know, whether they're ready for it or not, or maybe, you know, like with your diploma maybe they've already done it before and they know it Absolutely. before, and they just trot it out to please you, and that's not really, that's not the edge of learning. That's <laughs> no way. And,
0: Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education.
0: You won't regret it. Hey everyone, my name is Maurice and I'm from Ivory Coast. You're listening to the Teacher Talking Time to Learn Your English podcast.
2: That's teaching language as conformity. That's just all the students, they want to please you. They know they have to produce uh, exactly present perfect, you know, again and again and again. Whether they, you know, whether they're ready for it or not, or maybe, you know, like with your diploma, maybe they've already done it before and they know it <laughs> before, but they just trot it out to please you, and that's not really, that's not the edge of learning. That's <laughs> no
1: yeah, There's, it actually reminds me of, uh, of the uh, present perfect joke, where this whole idea that you know what uh, Willis talks about, this idea of displaying knowledge, right? When they get to the production, yeah. they're just yeah. basically. Producing the language that will please the teacher, as opposed to producing yeah. language for communicative purposes. The joke is, um, the teacher walks up to walks into a classroom and says, "Okay, guys, today we're going to talk about the present perfect." And the student said, "Oh no, teacher, we did this twenty times already."
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I, well, I mean, we already started talking a little bit about uh, TBLT, so I want to start talking a little bit about the talk. You were presented at ITEFL uh, Mm -hmm. recently. ITEFL Liverpool. Was it Liverpool?
2: Yeah, Liverpool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And your talk was, where is TBLT now? So my question to you is, where is TBLT now?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I put that as a title, not because I wanted to really do a survey of, of where it is geographically or anything. Um, but just to sort of put it back on the map, because we feel, um, well, my co-author Neil Anderson and I both felt that it's um, it's w- one method that we plug a lot on uh, Delta courses, and um, um, not any particular version of TBLT, but definitely a kind mm-hmm. of fluency first approach, and that uh, it's not really talked about um very much at conferences because it's you know because it's well known and to some extent it's mainstream. But there are a lot of new teachers coming on board and a lot of people who haven't been through that and who, who don't know what it is. So the the talk was really aimed at them. Um, I did have a little look online and see, you know, where it is and then I found out there's the International Association of Class Right. Training. There's the new course that started with uh, Servius Linguistics de Barcelona. Yes. That correctly. But, you know, there's a lot of luminaries on that course. Um, I found out that people are doing it in, you know, a lot in the Middle East and in the Far East and in Hong Kong. I think it's happening all over. I think it's happening in business classes and in learning classes. Um, And I think people are sort of doing it without knowing they're doing it okay and they don't really have any kind of structure to hang it on like for example a friend of mine he does the old thing with the marshmallows and the spaghetti right <laughs> what's <laughs> you that? Know that no i don't you know? okay so that's it this, this is some kind of classic lesson i've never done okay it, but he picked it up from somewhere and he, he got these <laughs> his, his french you know business students you know very serious whatever and they've okay. got to build, build a tower and I think they get like eight sticks of spaghetti and one marshmallow. Oh. And they've got to build the tower as high as they can, right? But they're not allowed to speak, you know, French. <laughs> they've got to speak English, you know. And then, you know, he he does whatever after that. He just said, oh, that lesson really, you know, that was wonderful. And, you know, the students loved it and everything. I mean, effectively, that's a TBLT lesson. Mm-hmm. I've got a colleague who, get, she, um, her students need to do job interviews, so she gets them watching interviews on YouTube, and then they fill in like a little, you know, things they like, things they didn't like, you know, these um, YouTube tutorials on how to do job interviews, you know, then they come into class, and they practice their job interviews. I mean, effectively, these are TBLT lessons, these are fluency-led lessons, right? Uh, but people sort of don't, don't know about the methodology. And the great thing about the methodology, it ties in some really important stages, like it ties in the language feedback stage, mm-hmm. different ways to conduct feedback with consciousness raising and so on, yeah. and perhaps mining a text later on, you know, mm-hmm. just building it up. A report stage where students have to, you know, formalize the, the feedback and um, focus more on accuracy when they do a kind of written report or prepare for that. So, you know, by knowing the um, some kind of task cycle, operating with some kind of cycle, I mean, we basically like the Willis one a lot.
1: hmm. Uh, that's the but most popular one i would say
2: basically gives these lessons some uh some more direction but they're happening anywhere they're happening all over i mean you don't go to a young learner's class and say right we're going to do the you know past simple and then we're going to do the three bears right
1: mm-hmm. i i think one of the biggest misconceptions with with tblt is that um a lot of teachers are under the impression that the input that the learners will get in completing the tasks is enough to facilitate language acquisition basically to put it in other words, it's basically mm. the input that the learners receive in TBLT comes from other learners because, they're, because there's this mm. assumption that they're just making a lot of these grammatical errors when they're communicating in the language. But I think what you just said is true. The input can come from, from a listening, a YouTube video. It can come from, like you said, mining a text for, for lexis. Mm. It's a mistake for people to assume that TBLT always involves this idea of students working in pairs and in groups.
2: Yeah, I think um I think the um the input the input's really, really important. I mean, um anyone who's done a lot of dogma teaching, um, we, we, you know, the, with the real um, you know, vow of chastity, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Thornbury's vow of chastity <laughs> yes. will know that the language you know, it kind of goes round in circles because you've got the you've got the students and, and you've got the teacher. You know how imaginative the teacher's feeling on that day and how stimulated and what he or she is able to dredge up you know yeah. which a lot of the time will be the same stuff you know because we've got our own idiolect and we've got you know the the stuff that's available to us you know um, right. so that's why you know the input of texts is really really important um and and of course that's from crashing as well mm-hmm Right. It's massively important for um for acquisition. Whether you need the explicit language focus, uh, you know, that's a moot point. I mean, well I I think that you do, I think there's evidence that you do, I think it makes the, the, the process of language acquisition more efficient, yeah. speed it up. But crashing mm-hmm. would disagree. Crashing is still uh, on the other side, and more than he ever was, you know. Uh, I mean, the, the, the most uh, explicit clarification that he will sort of tolerate is just saying, Oh, by the way, that's the past tense. There's no clarification yeah. at, at all, as such, you know. And we know that works, uh, but it's just that's, you know, going to take longer. And um, the evidence is that that's going to take longer. So, this uh, post-task language feedback that you get with CBLT is beneficial.
1: I think what you said is true. It facilitates acquisition. I don't think it's I, – I, I think I'm, I'm, when it comes to the interface, I think I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm in the weak interface where mm-hmm. um, I, I believe that this explicit feedback, this explicit language teaching as, as part of the feedback um, – yeah. Stage of of the TBLT cycle, I think that is important. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think um, if there's no focus on the form, then then you're just basically doing fluency.
2: Yeah, and, I, yeah, absolutely. So I think there should be focus on form. The evidence shows um, that um, focus on form should be in a meaningful context. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. Norris Ortega study, the one that everybody quotes. I mean, that's that's uh, that's the the big one, the meta-study that has evidence for um, explicit instruction. Yes. Uh, but focus on form um, in a meaningful context is better because um, the students, they've already engaged with the language, so yep. they, they can, they, they, it's salient for them. Mm-hmm. They've had a chance to express you know, their meaning, so they've invested in it, it's personalized, and mm-hmm. then the teacher adjusts it, and then they can see, oh, all right, and and, and it's perfect for them to absorb that, to, for it to become a, a feature that they're going to mm-hmm. notice in the future. So yeah. it's not what what I used to think of TBL when I first encountered it. Is oh my God, why would you why would you get the students to do something and then give them the relevant language in the last part of the lesson? <laughs> like that's that's nuts, you know. <laughs> <It's bad. laughs> It's a better approach. You know, it's
1: funny. Um, My wife was trying to learn Portuguese and she was taking classes online. And I remember I was having coffee and I was watching the whole uh, interaction online. And it was a 45-minute lesson. And the teacher very clearly used the uh, PPP um, approach. Again, assuming that it's possible to lead learners from a controlled automatic use of new language by asking them to do some sort of manipulation exercises so when we get to the last P, that's what I like to call the preach part because you really mm-hmm. hope, right? You pray yeah. that they're mm-hmm. going to use the language. And it was funny because that was about six years ago. And when I saw my wife, who is a beginner Portuguese, going through those stages of the PPP and then yeah. getting the production, Neil, and not being able to yeah. say anything in the language. That to me just, that was, it's one of those moments when you're like, wow, it just really yeah. doesn't work. It just really yeah, doesn't well, work.
2: Avoiding it because you sort of think, no, oh, that's really interesting what, what you know, I'm learning here about modal verbs. Uh, but you know, there's no way I'm going to try that. You know? <laughs> I'll How can you have
1: a conversation, it? right? Only yeah. using modal verbs or have a conversation using the present perfect solely?
2: If you're learning guitar and, 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 and somebody you know, plays you like a real neat part from a David Gilmore guitar solo and then gives you the guitar, <laughs> Like hang on, you know? <laughs> or equally, you know, I can do it already. So why right. am I doing this? You know, so the, the PPPs not recognizing something really fundamental about learning is that it's it's implicit learning that it's learning a skill. Yes, and all the course books are based on this. Uh, they're all based on this idea that. That it's that the explicit learning is what counts, and of course that's what sells. Yes. Right? But yes. The implicit learning is incredibly, um, incredibly um, powerful. Uh, I mean, one thing that always baffled me: there's a teacher. Um, I had a colleague, and we we taught FCE classes in parallel, right? Mm. And he was afraid of grammar. He was just one of these guys who didn't like grammar. Okay, so he'd do the book his way and i'd do the book my way and um he would sort of skip the grammar focus but he'd give them lots of fluency and, and you know they were immersed for the same amount of time as my students are immersed my students got more explicit uh feedback and explicit teaching about the language okay and then you know this wasn't a controlled experiment like, i was gonna say that it was like it some sort of They went into the exam, the results of our classes were not appreciably different, you know, and they'd had almost no grammar instruction on their exam preparation course, but they'd had immersion, you know, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, the whole industry is kind of wrong-headed to the extent that it, that it puts explicit learning at the center. It's, it's useful. We don't know exactly how useful it is. We suspect that it's useful. But what's important is the communication.
1: Huh. On that note, since we've been talking a lot about task-based language teaching, you and Neil Anderson, your co-author, you guys wrote a book, a recipe mm-hmm. book, as you describe it. Yeah. Activities for Task-Based Learning uh, with Delta Publishing. Would you say that this was the main motivation?
2: The motivation, um, because I mean, we thought of the idea um, over 10 years ago. Because mm. um, we thought, you know, here we are on Delta. And we're sort of pushing this this uh, this way of teaching, but there's no go-to resource. I mean, there's there's a few things online, but there's definitely nothing published that's that's um, um, centred, devoted to tasks for language mm-hmm. learning. Um, and the, the, uh, there was the original Cutting Edge series. The first Cutting Edge mm-hmm. series was kind of more uh, TBL, and then we were talking before the recording about build which which I actually I've never seen, but you know that was fast <laughs> based.
1: I'll send you a copy of it.
2: Oh that'd be great. <laughs> I'll loaded. scan
1: a page. I'll scan a page just for fun. Yeah.
2: Okay. So, so we just thought let's put together. We we used the um, Willis classification, mm-hmm. um, and we added a seventh category, which is um, text reconstruction activities. Yes. Uh, Yes, very. Um, we use those uh, a lot on Delta, and we there was nowhere to go for um, text recon activities. So, just to interrupt you
1: right there, um, can you just explain a little bit more about text reconstruction for our listeners, especially people who are not familiar with grammar dictation or the so-called dictogloss?
2: Okay, yeah. So, dictogloss is the most familiar um, um, way that uh, teachers use of text reconstruction. It's a low prep. Uh, practice high methods so uh, students get um, practice in, in all the skills uh, the main idea is that they're going to dramatize a text mm-hmm. so, um, by um, doing a very fast dictation um, at natural speed or just flashing a text uh, um, projecting a text for a very short amount of time so the students get the meaning then they are set to um, reconstruct the text so what they do to start with is they jot down the main ideas and just the keywords um so they've got these keywords they've got a battered text and they get together in pairs or groups and what they're doing is trying to just make that it doesn't have to be a carbon copy of the original but they want to get as close to the meaning the meaning of the original as they possibly Mm -hmm. can. right so they they end up with some version and you can do it like a pyramid. So you can also get somebody up, up to the board now, a more mm-hmm. kind of assertive student who's going to help produce a class version as well. That's possible. Um, but if you haven't got so much time, skip to the next stage, which is showing the students the original text. right? And then they get to compare the uh, original text with their own versions. And they now have the opportunity to ask about Grammar. Ask about vocabulary. Ask about any language feature right. that they want. The theory behind it is that here they are noticing the gap between their own production and the, um, you know, the proficient proficient production on the the text. Right. So they are noticing features which, again, are salient for them. Mm-hmm. Because tried to sort of grapple for these features in the tasks that they were just doing so we included dictagloss and some other um, activities which reconstructed texts in the same way because we felt that they were tasks the task being the production of the text right and also very, they're very cooperative activities.
1: yeah no it's a, it's a good book um, so you were saying um, the motivation that inv- that you know, what motivated you guys to investigate TBLT further and actually end up writing the book. You were saying that you guys there was no materials available. Yeah.
2: Mm, yeah. I mean, there was nothing, nothing available at all. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, okay. Maybe in business books, I noticed that, and that's one thing that's good about business books. I mean, I find them somewhat dry, but. You know, there are they—they they do have these little scenarios, like the mm-hmm. product. You know, the 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 marketing. Uh, you know, negotiating. Um, you know, meetings, and you know, yes. so those that that's, those are those are tough. Yeah, sure. But
1: they do follow a more PPP um, approach because a lot of them is just. They, have, they prescribe the language. They say, okay, this yeah. is what we want you guys to use. And then you go and conduct the interview as opposed to doing what you've just described as mm-hmm. this idea of noticing the gap. And again, I tell students and I tell trainees and I tell people that noticing, I think, is one of the essential features of, um, I think it's essential for acquisition to take place. So, yeah. 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 What, what were the main challenges that you, you and Neil both Niels faced when you guys were conducting your research for this book and how did you guys approach, um, the writing for this, for this book?
2: Wow. It's interesting. I don't think any of it was challenging. It was just mm. fun. It was fun. Um, um, what we did was we got together and um, brainstormed tasks that we used and tasks that we would come across, mm-hmm. uh, and other tasks and, and we put them into those, categories that the willis has had um, right um because i mean usually that usually the categories have got a kind of communicative goal right which is but but sometimes i mean they're just sharing experiences and sometimes what we want to do is just sharing experiences but that, that's one of the categories uh thankfully because that's very nice when people just come together and just talk about stuff and we we yes. tried to have some kind of goal or outcome um for everything but one of the weaknesses of the long um the the sort of hardcore tblt uh, formulation is that everything's kind of um you know it's it's all about these very tightly described um communicative situations you know target situations Mm -hmm. sometimes people just want to shoot the breeze you know yeah Uh, so you know um it's good that that's included too I don't think there were any challenges. All the challenges, I guess, just came in the editing and deciding right. what to leave out. And then, you know, um, its I don't know if you found this, but you come across, you, you find that you're using something and you think, I made this. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and then you see it in another book and you've got to leave it out. So, for example, we had this task about, I mean, I'd been using for years and years this The Legend of the Mary Celeste.
1: Uh, (laughs) no I don't remember reading that one I read maybe two tasks for each of the um, for each of the uh, categories so I think it was categorizing um, there was something on opinion gaps the problem-solving which I love problem-solving activities Mm -hmm. which goes back to problem-based learning right PBL which is again I would argue it's somewhat in line with TBLT and then as you mentioned sharing personal experiences and then the last two I think one was creative tasks that to me was an interesting one, especially the the one introducing the band. I think that was one of my uh, one of my, my favorite ones, and okay, I would love to try the that
2: one. Introducing the band one was one of the first tasks that I ever did. Um, so I had a young learners class, and you know they had to do the usual maze of tenses of present perfect and past, um, and I used the band gorillas, who were correct. Right. So this is going back a while. I mean we still have gorillas, but this was in the early days. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, they one one lot um brainstormed um a certain you know situations, questions, um as the as the band and they got their history together. Mm-hmm. And one part of the class brainstormed their questions as journalists, and they did it and it was it was just a blast. It just really worked for these teenage learners. And mm-hmm. then, out of that, we got things like how long have you been touring? When, you know, when did you first meet? What was your most embarrassing moment? You know, how many albums have you... you know, the, the, All of those grammatical items came from the task, and it was very natural and very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. No,
1: I, like I said, I think the book is definitely um, a welcome addition to anyone's EOT library um so i think Thank you very much yes no i think it's a great book i didn't go through all the activities but i read the entire um what, what was the the introduction to task based learning yeah. the strategies and tools and i it's funny because you said oh you probably went through some of the tasks and you thought oh hey, wait a second i designed this one I, for me it was more about the quotes and and the theory i'm more interested in
0: that as okay, well yeah
2: well, that's one of the things i mean i should say this just um about this series. Um mm-hmm. the, the Jason Anderson's the series editor and it's self consciously a kind of more academic series. So each book is gonna start with an introduction to the the area and then a mm-hmm. kind of this this second part called micro strategies and tools. We've included things there about how to how to do language feedback and how mm-hmm. to do consciousness raising and things about noticing and so on and so forth. So there's a real there's a really good sort of academic grounding, uh, so that's I guess what makes it different from yes recipe books as we know and love them. You know, so there's a recipe book with the with the theoretical grounding. That's the idea of this series. So it's called Ideas in Action.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's the that's I think what teachers really need is they need to have perhaps find this strike this balance between a theoretical background and practical applications in the classroom because normally what discourages teachers from um, learning more about languages because they think to themselves how okay this is great this is wonderful but how do i apply this in the classroom and i think the book the book does a very good job of of bridging this gap between
2: well the the one thing that we put there to help teachers um you know because we were thinking of it as being for teachers who are trying tblt mm. probably you know, for the first time. So for each task, there are language suggestions that, um, you know, they could choose to focus on if they come up. So pieces of grammar, vocabulary, um, um, structures, um, expressions, and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, just, you know, because... Like you say, teachers don't want to jump into sort of totally uncharted waters. So this is a way of kind of charting it for them. So we just called that language feedback options. Mm-hmm.
0: You, know,
2: you can take those if you want, or you can do something you know, completely different.
1: We talked about this earlier in our conversation before we started recording about the difference. I mean, the TBLT is back in fashion, in fashion but we've talked about the difference between TBL and... Yeah. TBLT, would you like to um, talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so for us, there's no difference at all. Um, uh, I've been using hashtag TBLT uh, (laughs) online because I think it's really taken off on Twitter. Right. Um, So we did a little Google search in comparison, and TBL is used three or four times more frequently than TBLT. TBLT is usually used by people who are into SLA theory. So yes, it's more theoretical. Um, so I think it seems more cutting edge and more modern, and TBL seems to be associated more with the Willis model. But yeah. In fact, there's nothing, uh, there's no difference between them at all, and what they're referring to.
1: So, what would you say is the main benefits of using tasks in second language teaching as opposed to um, following the old PPP?
2: So the main benefits are it's radically student-centred, mm-hmm. and if you use the long method, even more so. So you you know you're starting off with a deep needs analysis there, yes, uh, and you know you're finding out what target task that student needs and just designing your lessons. I mean, if only we had the time to do this, right? But designing all your lessons just with that student in mind. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's radically student-centred. Students get to say what, what they mean. It's about, it's about their meanings and their expressions. But right. so that's their whole personality that can become involved there, much like people will be familiar with in the free practice stage of lessons. You're happy. They're happy. Everyone's relaxed. Everyone's expressing themselves in English. But rather than leaving the stage till the last five minutes mm-hmm. of the lesson, you're fronting it. I mean, you can do some pre teaching, but you're bringing it forward in the lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, the students have a chance to experiment, so they get a chance to try things out in the language um, to, to mean what they want to say, not just rehearsing sort of language that you have uh, pre selected. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. and, 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 and then, you know, there's the exposure to text, and really just as part of that, the richness of the language focus. So Mm -hmm. as part in the language feedback, you can focus on anything you want, what you feel the students needs are as they've revealed themselves, rather than saying, I mean, this is a straw man, but you know, it's page 42, (laughs) it's the present perfect continuous.
1: We did this 20 times already teacher. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, I think what you said is true because, and I think you have this quote in your book and it's one of the quotes that I, it's one of my maxims I would say is that, The biggest problem with a presentation methodology is that it's based on the assumption that out of accuracy comes fluency. But we all know this. Will is didn't believe in that. He believed that yeah. out of fluency comes accuracy. And I think that's that's probably the main benefit of of tasking. Oh yeah,
2: that's a great quotation. And one of the maxims that I have is from my uh my ex colleague Steve Oakes, who's uh who's involved with the Speak Out uh, series of books.
0: Oh and he just
2: he just said very simply, "Help the students say what they want to say mm-hmm. in English." Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. That's, that's it. it. And the whole of TBL or TBLT is there.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's basically it. I don't think we can. Uh, there's we can't trump that.
2: That's that's a nut, that's a nutshell. Yeah.
1: That's a nutshell of uh, of TBLT. Yeah. Um, Neil, I just wanted to say thank you. Do you have any questions? Anything that you wanted to say to our listeners? Any, do you have any future plans with regards to research? Maybe presenting in Toronto? We're thinking about organizing a, this is something that I've, I haven't told anyone this, mm-hmm. but I've been thinking about um, a task based teaching conference, a smaller conference, oh, mostly cool. for practitioners. Um, it's still something that I'm, I'm playing with for a while, but uh, I'm definitely going to invite you to come and talk.
2: Oh, I'd love to come to Toronto. And I mean, we, um, Neil and I have started a little um, project called uh, Fluency First. Mm. Uh, so we're hoping to do some workshops just here, there and everywhere, just mm-hmm. uh, for people, I guess, ideally between CELTA and Delta who want to kind of try out things like um, class-based learning, me CLL. They're all oh, together. Yes. It's, all, it's all about Fluency First. Um, yeah. So just, you know, helping them uh, kind of structure these lessons, doing some demos uh, and so on. So, you know, that's the, that's the short-term plan. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'd love to come to Toronto. Yes. Yeah,
1: so that is FluencyFirstELT.com. Is that correct?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I put it in the book.
1: (laughs) Okay, it's in the book as well.
2: Okay. But yeah, Uh, fluencyfirstdlt.com. It's an online project, and maybe we'll blog connected with that. Um, We'll see what what happens after this. At the moment, I'm just busy proofing the very first print run of the book. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, there are little printing errors and just making sure that the the next print run will be 100% free of those.
1: Well, make sure that you get a copy of Activities for Task-Based Learning by Delta Publishing. Neil Anderson, Neil McCutcheon. Neil, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you, everyone. See you next time.
0: listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.